All right, this morning we're back in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And as the apostle closes out his first letter to this church, he gives numerous directives concerning Christian behavior and responsibilities. So let's again just be reminded of what we've covered so far. First of all, we are responsible to properly esteem church leaders that God has given us uh, for the work that they do in the ministry. Next, we are responsible to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ by admonishing the unruly, comforting the weak and the faint, and doing so with a patient, enduring spirit. We're also not to be vengeful toward anyone, take things in our own hands, but pursue what is good and healthy and right for ourselves and for others. And thirdly, we're responsible to our Lord to always rejoice, always pray, always be giving thanks. Now, these responsibilities, of course, cannot be carried out without being saved and without being under the control and guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. We always have to be depending upon the Lord to help us to be obedient to those directives he gives to us. Now, as we come to this last section, uh, this would be number four if you're taking any notes. Uh, I apologize, I don't have any out there for you today, but uh, this is pretty much straightforward. Each point will be taken from each uh, uh, phrase here or sentence in these uh, few verses that are left. Uh, we've got here just uh, 23 words in our English Bible. Uh, very terse, very short, but also very uh, demanding. So uh, let's uh, uh, remember that as we continue here. These pertain, I think, kind of generally to our corporate responsibility. Uh, Paul is addressing the church, second person plural. Uh, we're members of the church, so uh, speaking to us personally as well. And what we do as a member in Christ's body uh, doesn't just affect ourselves, it affects the whole church. And of course, the church affects the believer. So although these ad admonitions may pertain to more of a worship corporate type situation, they also pertain to our personal lives. Now, two of these commandments that we read, beginning in verse 19, um, <clears throat> are, neg are, are um, negative in nature. We're not to quench the Spirit. We're to be controlled by the Spirit all the time. If we quench the Spirit in our own life, it affects the church life. Uh, we're not to despise prophecies. We'll look into that, what that means. There are three positive commands here. We're to test all things. We're to hold to that which is good and, of course, reject uh, that which is evil. Now, all of these things are in present tense command form, so that means it's something we're always to be doing. Uh, we're always exercising these duties within the church and, of course, in our own personal lives. We look at the world today, and it's not a very pretty picture. There's a lot going on that's in violation of these uh, commands, and we must test those things that are being taught out there uh, by the measure of Scripture, God's Word. We support that which is generally, uh, genuinely approved by the Holy Spirit. We obey the preaching and the teaching that's properly drawn from the Scriptures, and that which is holy and good, we cling to that. That which is revealed is corrupt and evil. Of course, we abstain from that. So let's ask the Lord's blessing as we consider these important responsibilities today. Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful today that you've given us your word that we might know your will. We're thankful that through them we learn of our own sinfulness and our need of a Savior. 
We're thankful, Lord, today that nearly everyone here, if not everyone, has made a profession of faith in Christ. And Lord, help us now to understand and fulfill those responsibilities we have as a member of your body, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just pray, Lord, you help us to draw our hearts and minds to what we're saying here and apply them to our own personal lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, so these are directives to Christians in relation to the church, but also applying to ourselves as well. The first thing that Paul says here is do not quench the spirit. Uh, In your Bible, the word spirit there is probably capitalized. We know he's speaking of the Holy Spirit of God, not the human spirit or some other spirit. And he's mentioning this in the context of prophecies, which kind of helps us understand that maybe he's talking about within a worship service, what's going on there, that we don't want to do something that would squelch the moving and the working of the Spirit in a a public uh, forum. Uh, The verb that he uses here, to quench, means to extinguish or to put out Uh, Usually, of course, in relationship to a fire. That's what we think of most of all. And you'll remember when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he was manifested as a flame of fire over the heads of the disciples. And that symbolized his his coming. And, of course, it was accompanied by a mighty rushing wind as well as this uh, ability to miraculously speak in a foreign language that you were not uh, previously uh, aware of. It signaled a new age in which the believer would be dwelt within by the Holy Spirit of God, something that they did not have in the Old Testament age. Now, the thought here is dousing or extinguishing the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in yourself and, and of course, in the church when we come together as a body of believers worshiping the Lord. <clears throat> Every year, uh, we have a company come into the church, and they check all of our fire extinguishers. Obviously, the purpose is to be sure they're, uh, they're properly operating and equipped if, for instance, a, a fire would break out. But just the opposite is true of uh, believers uh, concerning the Holy Spirit of God. We're not to act as a fire extinguisher that diminishes his power in the assembly or our personal lives. Now, Paul doesn't really give us an example of this that's here, other than perhaps relating it to the prophecies in the next verse. So how might this apply uh, in our modern times? Well, you know that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is both personal because he dwells within us, but also corporate involving the whole ministry of the church. And uh, he gives us gifts of service to be used in the church. And these gifts are not to be ignored or uh, extinguished, if you will, but they're to be used for the edification of the church and God's glory. The Spirit's ministry also is to convince people of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Now that can be in the context of coming to know Christ as your Savior in the first place, but also it can be in the context of coming together, worshiping the Lord, hearing the word of God preached, 
and he convicts us about something or encourages whatever he might be doing in the assembly. And uh, the Holy Spirit is to be controlling us as individuals every day, helping us to obey the scriptures, to battle sin, to serve God, and to serve others. And if we're not empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will fail in that. And in some way, we will be either grieving him or quenching his activities in our life. And if we are If we come to the church, if we gather together in that way, and some of us are really not um, aware that we ought to be uh, controlled by the Spirit of God, or there's something going on in our life that could quench the Spirit in the assembly, well, that's going to be going on as well. So we don't want to do anything that would cause the Spirit of God to operate ineffectively within the assembly as we come and worship God together and we hear his word. And again, if we hinder the work of the Spirit in our personal life, eventually that's going to hinder his work in the corporate life of the church. One commentator addressed it this way. The Spirit's fire is quenched whenever his presence is ignored and his promptings are suppressed or rejected. Or the fervor which he kindles in the heart is dampened by unspiritual attitudes, criticisms, or actions. Certainly, any toleration of immorality and idleness against which they've already been warned would quench the spirits working in their midst. So the two things really kind of go together. Now, we might also add that as we go out there in the world, uh, and our actions and our speech and our attitudes are not controlled by the Holy Spirit, that could adversely affect other people who aren't even saved. Someone might think, well, if that is the kind of person that goes to that church, I'll never go there. So it can adversely affect them coming to a place where they would hear the gospel preach. So quenching the power of the Spirit in our personal life can uh, quench his power in even reaching people out there in the world. Now, one last thought, because there's a lot of confusion going on in the world about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Most of us are aware of that. But the modern-day charismatic movement, the signs and wonders theology, is widespread, and much of it's unscriptural. I was really a little bit surprised in my last visit to India that this is such a... Uh, 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 extensive influence there in India. Uh, In one of the last meetings that I had, uh, the church met in an old school building, and it had, you know, like five stories. We went in there, and we're in one of the large rooms, but there were also four or five other churches meeting. Every single one was charismatic. So you can just see we were outnumbered four or five to one uh, on that particular day. And this is, you know, something that's really worldwide. Now, the emphasis of that is more on what is visible, spectacular, and feelings-oriented rather than that which is really scriptural and doctrinal. So there, there can be um, uh, views of the Holy Spirit and his work that really aren't scriptural, and they're really uh, emphasizing and lifting up and worshiping the Holy Spirit rather than the Lord Jesus Christ and God, which the Bible says we ought to be doing. The Holy Spirit doesn't uh, glorify himself. He glorifies Christ. 
And that's not going, uh, what, that's not happening a lot in these uh, different movements. All right, but that doesn't mean we ignore the Holy Spirit, that we, we in some way uh, squelch what he's trying to do in an assembly. We ought to be praying that he will work, he'll convict, he'll encourage whatever our hearts need, and we shouldn't exhort, uh, ignore his proddings within us as well. Now, the second commandment is in verse 20. Again, very short, uh, very precise. Do not despise prophecies. All right, now this, again, may be an example of a specific quenching of the Spirit. Uh, Prophecy was a major part of public worship. It is today, only in a little bit different sense, So let's consider why it's not supposed to be despised. Okay, now in the days of the early church, as it's developing, as it's growing, let's remember, we're talking about uh, Jesus probably being crucified around 30 AD. Uh, Between 30 AD and 50 AD, there is no writing down of the word of God. We think that perhaps the earliest book may have been James around 45 AD, and then this book around 51 or 52, Matthew around the same time. So in this interim of a couple of decades, uh, you, you have the apostles teaching and preaching what Christ um, uh, taught them, and you have the Old Testament scriptures, but you don't have anything written down yet. So God gifted the church, and we see this uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, I believe, with prophets. In other words, God could directly speak to them and deal with perhaps certain issues or expound something that uh, Christ has said or the apostles, and they're giving these messages to the church, all right, direct inspiration, And as time goes on, and the Bible uh, begins to be produced, the New Testament, uh, at the end of the first century, well, the word of God is now complete, and the gift of prophecy, as far as a direct uh, revelation from God, is no longer necessary, and that gift dies out. All right, so um, at the completion of God's word, the Lord no longer needs to directly inspire anyone like he did in the Old Testament. He gave the word of God to his prophets. They foretold it. Sometimes they foretold things that would happen in the future, but it was all the receiving of God's proclamations and giving it to that, those people in that generation. Now, again, we don't have that gift of prophecy today. It's not needed. So if you have somebody standing up and saying, God said this to me, or God told me to do this or that, and uh, it's not something you find in the word of God, all kinds of red flags ought to be going up. Because there are people who claim to have this type of a gift of prophecy today. But uh, any kind of prophesying today is more along the lines of proclaiming what God has already given to us in his word. It's made relevant through preaching to every generation through faithful expositors of the word. Its application may change, but its essence never changes. So how did the church at Thessalonica then despise these prophesying? 
Well, again, Paul doesn't get very specific. He doesn't name a specific thing. However, the problem may have related to the confusion concerning the second coming of Christ. Now, we know this was something that was on their minds. He dealt with this in chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. And in his second epistle, he's going to deal with it again because some people were worried that Christ had already come. So what put that in their heads? Well, perhaps there were some claiming a prophetic revelation that Jesus was going to come at such and such a time or they would already come and they're confused about it. Or maybe some of those who we talked about who had become idle while waiting around for the Lord's return may have started claiming, well, they got a revelation about this, so they are keeping on doing what they're doing. Maybe they said, you ought to support us because of, of this revelation. So perhaps if there were these uh, proclamations going around that weren't true or weren't based on what Paul had taught them, or people were trying to use it to support uh, a sinful behavior, the church leaders may have just said, okay, we're just going to shut this down altogether because uh, there's, there's too much going on that, that uh, is not true and faithful. And we don't exactly know what was happening, but that may be you know, some uh, suggestions there of what was going on. But Paul says, do not despise prophesying. In other words, don't throw uh, everything out because there are some aberrations. And this is a very strong term, the word, the verb to despise there. Uh, it means to disdain or to look down on or treat something with contempt. <clears throat> and of course, today we don't want to treat the word of God with contempt. But back then, when you had these gifts of prophecy... You didn't, uh, there was a way to test this, but you didn't want to throw it all out. Uh, you, you have to, you don't look down on it. You don't disdain it. You test it out. We'll look at that in just a bit. Now, what about our time? How would we despise the proclamation of God's word today? If we think of, of, of the pastor being a prophet in the sense he's proclaiming what the Bible says. He's giving God's now written message, not a, a direct message from God, but his written message, and he gives that to the congregation. In a sense, that is what modern day prophesying would be about. He's not telling you the future, what's going to happen, unless he sees it in the word of God, and then he explains it uh, to the congregation. So, how then could we despise the proclamation of God's word? Well, we need to understand, again, that the pastor's not adding to scripture. He's not saying that God directly told him these things. He's proclaiming it from the word of God. Uh, and again, if someone says, uh, God told me this, and uh, uh, I want all of you to come out uh, uh, to this field on such and such a day, and we're going to drink the Kool-Aid, we're going to die and go to heaven. That's when you say, okay, pastor, you're not pastor anymore. That type of thing has happened, though, hasn't it? Uh, and they claim that this is from God. So again, red flags go up when someone speaks that way. All right, so prophecy today is rightly dividing the word of God 
when Scripture is clear and rightly explained, we are not to reject it, we are not to ignore it, we're not to disagree with it, we accept it, we receive it, and we obey it. If we don't receive it, if we don't agree with it, if we try to evade it in some way, we're despising it, we're looking down on it. Uh, if uh, Even right now, if you're thinking something, your mind's out there someplace, uh, if you're writing something, if you're doing something that's distracting your thinking from what the pastor's saying, are you not despising God's word? And that's a pretty serious thing. So we have to be careful. We need to be thinking about what is being taught to us or what is being preached to us because the devil's really good at drawing your mind away from what you're supposed to be doing. And we don't want to despise the word of God by not listening to it when we have an opportunity to hear it uh, uh, from the pulpit or the Sunday school room or wherever it might be. Okay, so let's move on here to the next thing, which really is kind of related to all this. Paul then says, test all things. Put stuff to the test. Now, in the context, that seems to refer to the prophecies. The prophecies occur when the church comes together and uh, people are standing up and proclaiming the word of God. So that's where these things are to be tested. Of course, we test things personally as well. Uh, to test, this is one of Paul's favorite words as uh, he writes different uh, letters to people. It means to prove or to examine with the expectation of approving something. In other words, you want to pass the test. Um, my dad had three diamonds in his collection of commodities, and they all have certificates of genuineness, but uh, I'm still going to take them to the jewelers to see if they're really as valuable as they're claimed to be. I'm going to put them to the test of somebody that I know knows their business. And that's what the Thessalonians were to, uh, to do. Rather than rejecting all the prophecies, Put them to the test. They're to test the prophecies to see if they're genuine, if they really came from God, if they agree with the Old Testament scriptures and the tradition of the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they don't, they go out the window. So in a general sense, we as believers ought to be testing all things as um, uh, to see if God approves them based on his word in our lives, but especially as they pertain to his word in the church and uh, our responsibilities. As far as preaching God's word, we need to examine what is being said and make sure it really is supported by scripture. Um, you remember that after the apostle went from uh, out of Thessalonica, they went to Berea. And uh, we're told in uh, the book of Acts that the Bereans, who weren't all that far from that of the city of Thessalonica, received the word of God with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so, whether they were true. That's what we need to do. They had the Old Testament scripture as their guide. They had the uh, preaching of the apostles and the Lord Jesus we have the whole Bible today, and it's a finished product. 
There's much in the world that's being proclaimed as the word of God, but we have to compare it to what the Bible actually says. Uh, there's much wrong, as I mentioned, in the charismatic church. Then we have the prosperity gospel. We have the church becoming woke and uh, politicized, and you wonder how in the world it can go that direction. But churches are splitting over acceptance of homosexuality, same-sex marriage, and everybody claims they've got biblical support for what they teach, but how can that be so? You've got to go to the Word of God and what it says, and that's what you have to teach and preach. So we put all uh, uh, all teaching affiliated with Christianity to the test of Scripture and its proper exposition, and we can't be slack in that responsibility. So the more you understand Scripture, the more you read it yourself, then you're going to be able to discern what's going on out there and what would be false teaching. Now, the last two commands have to do with the result of the testing that you put the, the proclamation to. <clears throat> and we see that the good and the beneficial is to be held fast, but the evil is to be avoided. So Paul goes on to say in verse 21, hold fast what is good. Okay, so what is good? This person might say, this is good, and this person says, this is good, and they're both opposite. That's the type of world we're living in today. Truth is relative. Good is relative. There are people who say that if I live a sinful lifestyle, that's good because it's for me, and I'm okay with it. Somebody else says, well, that, that lifestyle's wrong. How do you know what good is? How do you know what truth is? It's not based on what we think. It's based on what God says. That's the standard. So it's not by human standards, but by the holy standard of God's word that we determine what is really good. The world and evil people are very good at twisting the good to make it look bad and twisting the evil to make it look good. And it's, it, it's right out there in our faces almost every day. Uh, again, for instance, if we're against same-sex marriage, then we are guilty of hating people, right? We're guilty of hating people, um, and if we're uh, 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 because those people love each other, we hate them. And if we believe that that lifestyle is wrong based on God's word, and not just that, any lifestyle that would be sinful, we think it's wrong based on God's word, well, we hate those people because uh, we say what they're doing is wrong. And so you're, you're twisting things to uh, agree with what you want to be good. Now, the good is what is approved of God and in agreement with his word. And it has intrinsic, inherent, moral, and spiritual value. And that is what is truly profitable, valuable, and useful. So as we read God's word, as we understand uh, from that what is good, uh, we hold on to that. No matter what the world may think of us or call us, we hold on to what God says is good. And here's another strong verb. We, we grasp it. We cling to it. We don't let it go. And it's possible, though, to see the value of something and not grasp it, 
not cling to it. For instance, one might uh, see the value in precious gems or a high-priced automobile or a, uh, a mansion, but uh, you're never able to own them because they're too costly. So you can see the value of something, but for some reason you really can't cling to it or grasp it. When it comes to the Word of God, the same thing can be true. We may see and comprehend the good things approved by God's Word, but not cling to them. For instance, you can see the value of prayer, but not pray. You can see the value of giving, but not give as you should. And you could go down a whole list of things. So if you approve... What is good based on the word of God, but you don't seize upon it, then it really has no value in your life. If you do not appropriate it, you don't really appreciate it. Now, the last thing here is, obviously, if we're to cling to the good, what are we supposed to do with the evil? Well, we abstain from every form of evil, <clears throat> That which is not approved by God as good falls into the realm of evil. The word evil here, again, is a strong term. It speaks of that which is base and lowly in nature. It refers to that which is destructive, uh, injurious, malignant, and that would apply to uh, doctrine or teaching, uh, spirituality, morality, just the opposite of good. So anything that is not good based on the word of God is evil. Evil manifests itself in many forms and in many ways which we have to be aware of. Um, <clears throat> the best translation <clears throat> for this particular word, uh, which um, uh, I think in the KJV is appearance of the appearance of evil, um, <clears throat> The best uh, uh, thought here of this word as it's translated is uh, sort or kind or species. In other words, it takes many, uh, evil manifests itself in many ways. There are many kinds of evil. There are many forms of evil. Not just the outward appearance, but evil itself. And there are many lists of these evils that we find in the word of God. There are several lists of sins that really aren't all the sins there are, but it certainly does define it for it. So it should not be difficult for a Christian to identify what is evil, whether personal or what's out there in the world. And we are to abstain from that. Again, another strong word. And it's actually related uh, to the verb hold fast in the previous verse, but it means to hold away from or hold ourselves off from rather than to hold on to it. So it's just the opposite. There's a holding fast, but it's an opposite thing. You hold yourself away from something. So we're to actively separate ourselves from every kind of evil. Back in chapter uh, 4 and verse 3, we have the same word <clears throat> used to describe 
one form of evil, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So there's an example of that which you are to run away from. You're not to hold to that. You're to hold yourself away from that. So um, it takes many shapes, many forms. We all know this too well. And we are to run away from that which we know is wrong. Evils uh, such as that uh, are to be avoided, to be stepped away from, to be separated from. If we do not do that, well then is that not quenching the spirit? Is that not despising the truth of God's word? Is that that clinging to evil rather than to the good? And the same can be said for every sin, every kind of evil we find out there in the world. So as Paul concludes these exhortations, we have a lot of responsibilities that we have to trust him to help us be obedient to. Uh, as we go back to this whole section, beginning verse 12, we have to esteem those who rule over us in the church. We help each other in our walk with God on the narrow road of the Christian faith. We are constantly uh, maintaining a good relationship with God as we pray to him, as we rejoice in things, as we're thankful. And uh, <clears throat> we fulfill these duties we've mentioned today. Are you quenching the Holy Spirit? Is there something in your life that you're clinging to that you know is wrong, that is not the good, and maybe making excuses for it? If that is your attitude, well, you're hindering the Spirit's work in your life. And if that's not taken care of, when you come to the assembly, it could be doing the same type of thing instead of enhancing the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Are you holding then in contempt some area of God's word? Is there something he's been pricking your heart about? Again, something that you've been having trouble with. If the Lord reveals to you something good that you're not doing or something evil that you are doing, again, you're quenching the spirit because the spirit is prodding you through the word. And as it's being taught to us, are we focusing on it? Are we thinking about it? Are we constantly making sure our minds come back to where they ought to be? And then he wants us to test all things in our personal life, of course, in our corporate life as well, to see if those things are approved to God, if they are good. And if they are good, what do we do? We cling to that. We don't ever let it go. If they're evil, then we ask God to help us uh, release it, to step away from it, to separate from it. And again, uh, we can apply this to our daily life, our work, our leisure activities, what we read, what we watch, what we listen to, really everything. So let's seek God's strength and his guidance each day to be able to fulfill these important responsibilities in our own life, but also as they affect our corporate life together. Our Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful today. <clears throat> For the truth of your word, we're thankful, Lord, that today is complete and we don't need any new prophecies uh, and we can test everything now by your word. Help us, Lord, today to be sensitive to the proddings of the Holy Spirit, to not uh, douse his working within us <coughs> or his church uh, with 
uh, cold water. But Lord, uh, be submissive to the Spirit of God. Be controlled each day. Help us, Lord, to love your word. Help us, Lord, to uh, test it, though, uh, as we go through life when it's being preached. But also, Lord, uh, uh, test what's going out there in the world and new uh, forms of teaching, new forms of evil that are developing. Help us weigh all these things by your word and hold fast to the good and reject the evil that we might glorify you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.